Today we talk about what to expect at your embryo transfer. I'm Dr. Mark Amos, and this is Taco About Fertility Tuesday. Similar to last week, where we talked about what to expect at your egg retrieval, this week we're going to discuss what to expect at your embryo transfer. So you're fortunate enough to make it to the end. Either you're in the IVF cycle and about ready to do a fresh transfer, or you've done a egg retrieval, you have embryos frozen, and now you're ready to undergo a frozen embryo transfer. There are going to be some similarities between the two types of transfers, and there are also going to be some differences. Let's start with the most common type, which is going to be a frozen embryo transfer. Most clinics these days are doing freeze-alls, where they're freezing all the embryos and then later doing a transfer. And there's many reasons for this. One of those reasons is because more places are doing pregenetic testing. And unless they have their own pregenetic testing center in their own clinic, they have to send those out and they have to be tested. Those cells that are biopsied take time to be tested, and can take up to two weeks to get the results. So if you were doing a fresh transfer, it would be very difficult to put the embryo back and know the results of the testing. However, if you're able to freeze the embryos and then later put them back, you'll now have the results of the testing and can put the best embryo back. There are other reasons for freeze-alls as well. There's actually increased pregnancy rates anytime you are undergoing IVF and you're making multiple follicles. The estrogen levels get so high during the IVF process, it actually affects the implantation of the embryo. Specifically, it has to do with the implantation window. As estrogen levels go up, it can then affect progesterone levels, which can eventually then cause the implantation window to be adjusted. And then there are freeze-alls when someone has ovarian hyperstimulation, where you're worried about them developing ovarian hyperstimulation. So instead of doing a fresh transfer, you freeze all the embryos, and then later you put the embryo back. There are other situations too where people might not want to be pregnant right now and want to freeze their embryos, but in the end, it's one of the more common methods today. Now, when it comes to the embryo transfer, there are multiple ways to do it. You can use estrogen as pills. You can use estrogen as patches. You can even use estrogen injections. But all transfers start out with making the lining build in the frozen transfer. And once that lining's thick enough, then you start progesterone to be able to do the transfer. Everybody's different. Some people respond better to pills. Some people respond better to patches. Some patients, you even have to naturally make them ovulate to get them to build a good lining. I tend to use the information that we learn through the retrieval to determine if the patient's going to be able to develop a lining well. If they did it well in the IVF cycle, then I probably expect they're going to do just fine when it comes to the transfer. Usually your IVF clinic is going to give you a calendar with a date of your transfer. And that date's an expected date. It's really important to understand that you may not fall on that date. Most people will, but if for some reason your FET is not going well, such as your lining is not getting thick enough, or maybe something is seen that's concerning, they may want to postpone your transfer and push it out a little bit further. Other times, you start developing follicles during the stimulation when you're building the lining. And in that situation, they may ask you to do the transfer earlier than was expected. The point is, I don't want you to feel that you absolutely have to transfer on your transfer day. There are reasons that it has to be moved early, reasons it has to be moved late, and none of those should worry you because the goal is to give you the best chance 
of having success. Now, regardless of whether you used pills, patches, injections, or even natural ovulation to build up your lining, eventually you need progesterone. Now, if you're doing the natural cycle where you're actually building up your own lining and ovulating, the ovulation is going to create the progesterone and you may supplement it. But when you're doing the frozen embryo transfer and you're not ovulating, you need progesterone. And in this situation, they're going to give you injectable progesterone. There are some people who still use vaginal progesterone, but this has been shown to be inferior to using injectable progesterone. I would not recommend it. Once they have determined that your lining is thick enough, you will then be able to start the progesterone. And usually about the fifth day of progesterone, you'll do their transfer. Now, some people undergo a test called an ERA, endometrial receptivity assessment test. And in that situation, you may have to do the transfer on a different day. But in the end, in general, most people do it around day five. And that's because when the embryo falls into the uterus, it usually falls in on day five naturally. So we try to mimic that and do the transfer at the same time. Now, if you're in the situation where you're doing a fresh transfer, you'll be going through your IVF cycle. And then after they retrieve the eggs, what will happen is you'll be in calls telling you how the embryos are doing. But on the fifth day, after the embryos are created, you'll come in for an embryo transfer. You'll be told how many embryos you have and which ones you want to put back, whether you want to put back one or two. The rest of the embryos will be frozen for future use. Usually, you'll be taking some type of supplemental progesterone, such as vaginal progesterone. And the reason for this is when you remove the eggs from the follicles, you also remove the cumulus cells. And those cells, which are called the granulosa cells, are what create progesterone when they get luteinized. So if you disrupt these, potentially you may not make enough progesterone naturally. And so that way they give you supplemental progesterone to help support it. Now, regardless if you underwent a natural FET, a frozen embryo transfer, or even a fresh IVF cycle with transfer, we're now all at the same point now. We're going in for our embryo transfer. What we want to talk about is what to expect. Now, if you're doing a fresh transfer after an IVF cycle, one of the scariest things is do I have embryos? Because remember, no one's looked yet until today. And so you're preparing for this transfer, but you really don't know what you have. And so unfortunately, you come in and you determine if you have any embryos and how many to then transfer. No one is immune from this fear. It doesn't matter if you're young and have lots of follicles, if you're older and only have a few. Anybody could potentially not have anything to transfer on transfer day. Now, it's not that common, and usually if you're younger, you have a good chance of having a transfer. But the point is, there may not be anything that grew to a blastocyst, and you may not have something to transfer. Now, one unique thing about a fresh transfer over a frozen transfer is that we don't freeze embryos that stall at the morula stage or embryos that are poor quality. But with a fresh transfer, usually if you have it, they'll put it in because they say, why not? Let's at least give it a chance. And so for some patients, they look at that as a positive that no matter what, they at least get a transfer, even if the transfer chances are low because the embryos are poor quality. Unlike a fresh transfer, in a frozen transfer, you already know your embryos. Your fear is a little bit different. Your fear is did my embryo survive the thaw? And this is a pretty scary thing. As a matter of fact, if you look back and Google things, you'll find that many people didn't have embryos survive the thaw. 
But the way we freeze them now is a lot different than the way we used to freeze them in the past. In the past, we used what's called slow freezing, which is where we got the temperature colder and colder. However, now we use vitrification, which is a little bit different. It's a flash freezing, but it also works by dehydrating the embryo by giving it certain concentrates. So when you freeze it, there's less fluid in there, but it also has more solutes that then prevent it from crystallizing. So what's a solute? A solute would be like putting salt in water. So if you think about it, when you put salt on ice, what happens? It helps it melt. Now, the reason why is because when you add things to liquids, it creates properties that are not dependent on the liquid. So for example, we talked about when you put salt on ice, it causes the freezing temperature to be lower to keep it as ice. And so it will start melting. If you put salt in water, it causes the water to need a higher boiling temperature because the salt molecules keep running into the water molecules and it's harder to get high water vapor. This property is called a colligative property, which basically means a property that's not inherent to the molecule, but is inherent because of the molecules in the other molecules. Okay, enough nerd talk. So back when I went through IVF and they were using cold freezing, we weren't able to freeze embryos very well. And most time we used to freeze embryos at the very early stage when there was less water in them. Now with vitrification, we can freeze blastocysts, which is why freeze-all cycles are very safe. Most clinics, about 98% of the time, will be able to thaw the embryo without issues. Some of the better clinics can even do better. In the past, back when I went through IVF, it wasn't uncommon for more than 10% of the embryos to not survive the thaw. That is not true today and not something you need to worry about. Now, can it happen? It can, but it's very rare and doesn't happen often. And usually, if they're having a lot of embryos not surviving the thaw, they're either freezing poor quality embryos or the embryos were already fragile to begin with. Now, on the day of the retrieval, what will happen is your clinic will probably have you come about 30 to 60 minutes early. If you're going to be doing acupuncture, then you usually come even earlier so that way you can do the acupuncture prior to the transfer, and then again after the transfer. Acupuncture has been shown to improve pregnancy rates when done right before and after the transfer. Usually, you'll be asked to go in a robe, and approximately one hour prior to the transfer, you're going to be told to drink water and get a full bladder. This is probably the worst part of the whole transfer process, having a full bladder. I can assure you we are not making you get a full bladder as a torture test. You will then go into the room, And you will be identified by the lab and verify your name, your date of birth. If you're doing a fresh transfer, you probably will sign papers on how many embryos to transfer. If you're doing a frozen transfer, you likely have already done this already. An ultrasonographer or one of the clinic personnel will check your bladder and see how it looks on the ultrasound and if they can see the uterus. The purpose for having a full bladder is that it creates an ultrasonic window meaning the ultrasound waves can go through the bladder and we can see the uterus clearly so we can do the transfer. Doing the transfer under ultrasound guidance has a much higher pregnancy rate than doing it blindly. That's why everyone does it this way. However, if your bladder is empty, the ultrasound waves will not go through the skin as well. It will be difficult to see the uterus and it will make it a difficult transfer, lowering your chances of success. If you think about it, 
whenever you were out in the early morning, it was kind of humid. You could almost think you could hear the birds from a mile away. And that's because you probably could. Because when there's more moisture in the air, sound travels better. Just like when you're under the water and you start talking, they can hear you from a far distance when they're under the water. They just can't understand what you're saying. And that's because sound travels better in water. When it's deemed that your bladder is full, then at that point, they'll start the transfer process. Now, if your bladder is not full, sometimes there's enough time for you to fill it up by drinking some more water. But other times, they may even put a catheter in your, your bladder and fill it up. That way, they can proceed with the transfer. This is the part that's pretty uncomfortable because you have this full bladder, and now the doctor is about to start the procedure. What they usually will do is start with a speculum to get the cervix in view, and then using some Q-tips, they'll clean off the mucus from the cervix. This mucus is normal. All women have mucus vaginally. But when you're doing the transfer, you don't want to push that mucus into the uterus. So you should clean it externally and internally. Now, at this point, there may be differences in clinics. Some places will just have the embryologist hand them the catheter, and the doctor will then place the catheter and inject it into the uterus. Other places will do a mock transfer first by practicing the transfer, and then will either have the embryologist hand them the catheter and put the embryo into the uterus or embryos, or they'll leave the sheath in the uterus, pulling out the inner catheter, and then having the embryologist feed their catheter through the sheath into the uterus. This technique is sometimes called the afterload technique. The benefit of the mock transfer is that if there's going to be any issues you're going to know about before you start the transfer, you don't want the embryos sitting in the room at room temperature for too long. The benefit of the afterload technique is that once you've already placed the catheter, you know you won't have any issues. So by pulling out the inner catheter and leaving the sheath, you've essentially created a highway for the embryo to get to the spot it needs to without any issues. This is currently the technique we use in our clinic. I've had great success with it. Now on the screen, you're going to see this little bubble come out. Most of them have what's called a marker bubble, and that's to let the embryologist know that enough fluid came out and the embryo should be in the uterus at that time. Now that bubble is not the embryo. The embryo is microscopic. You cannot see the embryo through an ultrasound. You have to have a microscope. Now that being said, yeah, when I saw it, my heart just started going so fast. I'm like, oh my God, that's my embryo. And we all think that, but it's really not. And so what happens is the embryologist then takes that catheter, looks under the microscope, and then will flush the fluid out to make sure the embryo did come out or embryos. Sometimes the embryos do get stuck. They're a little bit stubborn, don't want to leave that little home. And so in that situation, you have to redo the transfer. Now the good news is your pregnancy chances do not drop by needing to do another transfer. If the embryologist says the catheter is clear, at that point the transfer is done, the speculum is removed, and you are allowed to then go use the restroom. Now, if you haven't had a transfer yet, I bet you're thinking, why is he just harping on this whole bladder thing? My goodness. Because it honestly will be the most annoying thing because your bladder is full and every single person threatens their going to pee on me. Luckily, no one has yet. Now, the good thing is you cannot pee the embryo out. They're completely different organs, so nothing to worry about. Go to the bathroom. doesn't matter if you push the pee out or not. You cannot push the embryo out by going to the bathroom. Usually, you'll be given a picture of either the ultrasound from the transfer, sometimes even a picture of the embryo, or sometimes later, they'll send you those pictures. At this point, it is now in God's hands. That embryo is in your uterus. And although it feels like it should be a 100% pregnancy rate, it's important to understand that there are a lot of factors. 
such as uterine factors, such as embryo factors. And sometimes it's just a little luck. Did that embryo implant in the same place that it's supposed to, or is it to implant into a, a bad area? Unfortunately, it's not 100%. I wish it was, but it is very good. At good clinics, there's a better chance you'll come away pregnant than not pregnant. And hopefully, you didn't pee on the doctor. I hope this was helpful for some people. If you like this, as I always say, please tell us about it. Tell your friends about it. Give us a five-star review on your favorite medium. And just like these topics recently were suggested by a patient, if you have a suggestion, please let me know by either telling me on my Facebook page or sending me an email at tbft at newdirectionfertility.com. That's Talk About Fertility Tuesday, tbft at newdirectionfertility.com. I'm actually leaving tonight to go to Disney World. So I look forward to talking to you guys next week on Taco Bell Fertility Tuesday.